First Timothy chapter four, verse six, as we continue our series, a short series in the book of First Timothy chapter four, verse six. While you're turning there, finding your place there, a couple of other things. We've been asking you to, as a church family, to be in prayer about our future and maybe a possible site and property or land or whatever God has planned for us. We may have something specific and viable to share with you next week. So please be in prayer. Uh, continue to pray. We may have a piece of property that that may work. So uh, just continue to pray about that. Secondly, I, I hesitate to say this after 29 years in ministry and probably thousands of messages from the Word of God. So I, what I'm about to say, I don't say lightly, but in my own mind, the message that I shared Tuesday night from the Word of God in our Tuesday night Bible study was probably one of the most important messages I've ever shared. It, at least in my own mind, probably one of the top five messages for Christians that I feel like God has ever laid on my heart. And I say that only because if you weren't able to be there Tuesday night and you'd be interested in listening to that, I'd encourage you to listen to the podcast of Tuesday night's message on Paul's thorn in the flesh out of Second Corinthians chapter 12. Today, we are continuing this series where Paul started out at the end of chapter 3 by telling this young pastor, Timothy, Timothy, I want you to share with the people uh, that are your sheep, but your, your flock in your church about how to conduct themselves in the house of God, the church of the living God, the support and bulwark of the truth. And we take for granted, I think, that when people sort of either become a Christian or they join a church or they become part of a church or they say, what church are you? Oh, I go to this church. That we automatically assume that people know what, what is a church? What is God's design for the church? What are we supposed to be? What's our focus supposed to be? What are our priorities supposed to be? And I think we've taken for granted over the centuries since the church first began that somehow people that are part of the church sort of know what the church is all about and where our focus and priorities are supposed to be. And I don't think we should take that for granted. I don't think we should assume those things. I think even for those of us that may have been part of a church for a long time, that we need to go back and remind ourselves of the very things that Paul is reminding Timothy about. And, and one of the things we saw building on the first week's message last week was how you and I as Christians, as part of the body of Christ, part of a, something bigger than ourselves, that each one of us is responsible to, to make sure that we are examining, investigating, scrutinizing, searching out very carefully everything that we hear and comparing it with the Word of God. Because last week we saw where Paul is saying, listen, the Spirit of God is out there warning the church and warning Christians that there's so much out there that does not line up with the Word of God. And he said, there's going to come an increasing amount of people within the church who are going to depart the faith 
And they're going to start listening to deceiving spirits and demonic teachings. And so we learned last week about the importance of testing the spirits like 1 John talks about in 1 John 4.1. And, and how we need to go back like the Bereans in Acts 17 and make sure that everything we hear, that we go to the scriptures ourselves and make sure that it's lining up. And that really is what God said. And so we're all responsible for that. Not just the pastor, not just the the leaders of the church. Every Christian is responsible for that. For this reason, we are part of something bigger than ourselves. And because of that, we're responsible for each other. And if I allow something that's false, if I allow false doctrine and false teaching in my life, and I begin to get influenced by things that don't line up with the word of God, it's not only going to negatively affect me, it's going to negatively affect my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I may end up being a negative influence on their life because I bought into something that the scriptures really don't say. And so he goes back to personal responsibility. And I want to continue on that because that's what Paul wants to continue on today. There's two main thoughts in this passage we're going to look at this morning. How each of us must be personally responsible for our own Christian life. Where we are spiritually right now, our spiritual health, if you will, our spiritual fitness is really on us. And, And secondly, because of that, we also have to realize that because we're part of that body and, and we're responsible for each other, that it's great to be part of a body where you can be encouraged by each other, where you can be stroked every once in a while, where you can be patted on the back and encouraged and all that. We get that. That's certainly scriptural. But there's got to come a point where what I do for Christ and who I am for Christ has to come from that inward motivation myself. I've got to understand that part of my spiritual growth and maturity is where I rely less and less on external uh, encouragement and where I'm dependent that the only time I, you know, show up at church and am faithful to church is when people are reminding me to do it. And the only time I'm in the word of God is when somehow I hear a message externally about how I should be into the word of God and how the only time I really get serious about prayer is where, again, I'm confronted with something outside of myself that reminds me about how important prayer is and how important worship is. You know, I might hear a song, go, yeah, I, I need to be more of a worshiper and all of that. Again, I'm not discounting that. That needs to be part of our Christian life. But what Paul is saying, there's got to come that point in our Christian walk where primarily our drive, our motivation, our inspiration for being the person that we know God created us to be and called us to be comes from within ourselves and isn't dependent on outward circumstances and outward encouragement. That's why Paul said in verse 6 to Timothy, by pointing out such things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Well, can I just say, I want to be a good servant too. So that's why I'm pointing out these things. But also notice in the idea of pointing it out that it's it's a suggestion. It's like the old saying, you know, you can lead a horse to water, you, you can't make them drink. Timothy or any pastor or any other Christian, you know, again, they can, they can say, hey, this is what we should do, right? This is what God says. But it's up to each one of us as individuals to embrace that and say, yeah, yeah, that's my conviction too. We can point it out. We can suggest it. 
We can have other people in our lives point things out and suggest things and whatever. But it's got to come from within us. There's got to come that point where we say, that's the way I want to live. And these are my priorities and these are my values because this is what I believe. I'm not trying to live off of someone else's convictions. This is what I believe. And that's why Paul goes on to say, by pointing out such things to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, having nourished yourself on the words of faith and the good teaching that you have followed. Notice, it is up to us to nourish ourselves. And that's not just true of Timothy, the pastor. That principle is, again, true for every Christian. That's where we take responsibility for our own Christian life. I can't rely on someone else to nourish me all the time. It's great to go to a church where you can be nourished in the word of God. It's great to listen to messages and all that. But there's got to come that point in my Christian life where I'm taking responsibility for my own spiritual health. And the only way that a Christian can truly stay spiritually healthy and fit is if I'm nourishing myself. That I'm taking responsibility for my own spiritual diet, if you will. And again, there's a lot of cool parallels between the physical world and the spiritual world. That's how it can ring true to us. And we know that part of our health physically, part of how we feel, part of, you know, our energy level and our, our vitality and all that is tied to our diet. What we eat, what we don't eat, what we take in, what we don't take in, all of that. And Paul is saying the same thing. We've got to pay attention to our spiritual diet. Because the word nourished here means to feed in order to form or shape. In other words, the concept is this. Just like physically, what you and I take in or don't take in, it forms us. It shapes us. And not just outwardly, the obvious, well, I might you know, have a couple extra pounds or something like that. But internally, the internal organs, all of that, our health physically is tied to our diet because our diet literally forms and shapes us physically. And Paul is saying, Christians, you've got to get that concept. And Timothy, you've got to point these things out because we've got to remember that we are responsible for our own spiritual nourishment, our own spiritual health, our own spiritual fitness, and we've got to make sure that we are feasting on a good spiritual diet all the time. All the time. Because what we're taking in spiritually is literally forming us and shaping us. It's developing our attitudes, it's developing our character, it's developing our outlook on life, our perspective, everything that we take in, which goes back to last week's message, that's why we've got to be careful of what we take in, what we listen to, the influences in our life, all these voices out there, who are we, and and you and I know as far as physically, oh my goodness. I mean, there's so much out there today on television and all the media and books and everything and books about you know, how you can be more healthy. Who, who do you listen to? You know, one says, don't eat this. The other one says, it's okay to eat. And we, we went back to that last week too, where the Bible tells us what we can eat and what we can't eat. But, but the idea is I've got to take responsibility for my own nourishment. Are we being nourished in the words of faith and the good teaching? You see, 
Because notice in verse 7, he says, there's certain things you've got to reject. Don't spend your time. You know, we only have one life. We only have a few years on this earth. As James says, our life is a vapor. I, I mean, you know, we don't have lots of time. So if we're to be good stewards, then we need to invest in what really matters and, and focus on the truth. And that's why he says in verse 7, reject those myths. The word myth here just means speculations, inventions of the human mind. Listen, God has given us a lot of truth in this book. Basically, what Paul's telling Timothy to tell his people is this. Don't you think we'd be better off spiritually? That our health spiritually, we would be, we would be more healthy spiritually and more fit if we focused on the truth that we know rather than spending time on the things that we don't know and aren't sure of. Because there's an awful lot that God has told us we can be sure of. That is truth. That is fact. That is certain. Why not focus on this and reject all that other stuff? And don't let that stuff be part of our diet, if you will. Reject those myths that are contrary and that are fit only for the godless and gullible. Again, God doesn't want us to be walking out of step with him. That's godless. Gullible is, again, not not examining things, not scrutinizing, not, not investigating, not checking things out. Just, well, somebody said it. As I said last week, I don't care if I say something, any pastor, any spokesperson for God. You and I are responsible to make sure that we go to the word of God and say, is that really what God said? We should not take any human being's word for it. We've got to check it out. And we've got to have a good diet which means taking in the right stuff and rejecting the bad stuff. And notice he goes on to say, and train yourself, verse 7, for godliness. Not only nourish yourself, we're responsible to nourish ourselves, but now the other side of that is we are personally responsible to train ourselves. So again, just like physically, our bodies physically end up being the result of our diet and our exercise or lack of it. And basically Paul is saying that's what Christians have to understand as far as spiritually, that who we are, what we are is basically goes back to what is our spiritual diet and are we exercising spiritually? The Greek word here for train is gymnazo, where we get the word gymnasium from. And basically it means to work out every day, to go into the spiritual gym, to develop those disciplines like we're supposed to physically, where we work out and exercise and go through training every day. How many Christians really discipline themselves? To train themselves for godliness every day. And then we wonder why we're out of shape spiritually. Why we're spiritually unhealthy. Well, where's our diet and what's our exercise? And I've said this for many years now, but it bears repeating in the passage that we're in. Because one of the things that I've been confronted with as a pastor for many years is Christians who are exasperated and frustrated because of where they're at in their spiritual life. And they'll say, you know, 
Pastor, I'm trying really hard to be a better Christian. I'm really trying. And as far as their effort, they're absolutely sincere. They're trying really hard. But have you noticed in the Word of God that there is no such scripture as try really hard to be a better Christian. Try really hard to be godly. You won't find that in the Word of God. You see, it's not in trying, it's in training. Christians don't like that. Because we bought into the world philosophies, we're looking for the easy button. We're looking for the quick fix. We're looking to get into spiritual fitness and, and, and health and shape without putting in the time every day to exercise and discipline ourselves to spiritually work out. And then when we get spiritually flabby, it's somebody else's fault. Because we're not taking responsibility for our own training and our own spiritual nourishment. And Paul's saying we've got to get to the point where we do that and where we work out spiritually. See, if I said today, hey, you know what? When the P.F. Chang's Marathon comes up in January or February, Jeff Royce is going to enter, and I'm going to try real hard to run that 26.3-mile marathon. Well, if you know Jeff Royce, you know I might get a mile before I start going, you know. It's not because I'm not trying, right? But now if Jeff Roy says, you know what? I'm not even going to think about 2014 because we're too close. But I'm going to make a goal that in 2015, I'm going to run that marathon. And starting tomorrow, I'm going to start training. Don't you think that in a year and a half of training, I'm going to get a lot further than if I just tried real hard? Yeah. And that's what we as Christians have to understand. Because we try real hard and then we... We fall flat on our face spiritually and we go, what's wrong? I'm trying really hard to be a godly person. I'm trying real hard to please God. I'm trying real hard to be spiritual. Not in trying. It's in training. Train yourself for godliness. And by the way, godliness just comes from the concept of God-likeness. All it means is that you and I can, as human beings, exhibit the character and attitude of Jesus Christ. And we can't be God. You know, there are certain, what I call, incommunicable attributes of God. He's almighty. We'll never be almighty. He's omniscient. He knows all. We we will never be omniscient. He's omnipresent. We're never going to be omnipresent. But we can be like God as far as, like, the fruit of the Spirit. We can be loving like God, joyful like God, peaceful like God. We can exhibit God's kind of self-control, kindness. Those are, that's the, that's how we can be godly. Exhibiting the character and attitude of Jesus Christ. And the only way as Christians we can do that is by training and by nourishing ourselves every day. Now, here's where it goes back to though. I've got to have that inward motivation. Because again, if I'm just dependent on outward motivation and encouragement all the time to to nourish myself and train myself, no. I've got to come to a point again in my walk with God where my understanding of who God is and what he is and what I want my life to be is set. It is settled. I am rested on God once and for all. Absolute assurance, no questions asked which is what the rest of this passage is all about. 
Because he goes on to say, for physical exercise, verse 8, has some value. But godliness is valuable in every way. It holds promise not only for the present life. In other words, it's not only advantageous and profitable for my life now, but it will make a huge impact even throughout eternity. We've talked about that concept before. How the way I live my Christian life here really will determine my role and responsibility throughout eternity. So it's huge. He's not discounting, again, physical exercise. Physical exercise has its place. But let's put things again in contrast. Physical exercise will help me here and now. Godliness will help me not only here and now, but throughout eternity. And godliness is valuable, he says in verse 8, in every way. Now, folks, here again, I can hear that as a Christian. I can even have another Christian say, you know that godliness is valuable in every way. But until I internally... In my own being, in my own heart and mind, truly believe that, truly embrace that, truly have that settle in my life. Only then will I be willing to train, to nourish, to do all the things that I should do because that's become my conviction. And I truly believe it is to my advantage. That's what the word valuable means. God is basically saying, you realize that if you follow my way, if you do things in your life my way, it's actually to your advantage, to your benefit. It will profit you. It will bless you. If you choose to ignore me and what I've said, you're only hurting yourself. But we've got to truly believe that because obviously down through history, man says, I want to do it my way. And God, I know what you say, but, and so we all have different levels, even within our Christian walk of how much have we truly embraced it? Have we totally embraced this or we're just sort of still trying to figure it out? We're not really settled, which is why he goes on to say in verse nine, this saying that I've just told you that godliness is profitable in every way, and not only for here and now, but throughout eternity. This saying is trustworthy. It is reliable. It is faithful. It is dependable and deserves full acceptance. In other words, he's saying every Christian should get to a point where they open up their arms and welcome this into their own life, admit it into their life, receive it into their life, embrace it and say, you're right. To where again, my motivation for going through training and disciplining myself and denying self and making sure I'm getting nourished every day isn't just coming from external motivation and encouragement. No, it's coming from within. Because we all know, again, going back to the physical, I can be motivated maybe a little bit externally to maybe start making changes physically. But that will never last or be sustained if it's not coming from within myself. See, eventually, those external motivations won't keep me going in the direction I need to go, and I'll just give up. I'll just throw in the towel. It is only when I am so inwardly motivated and inspired to do this because I bought into it, because it's my conviction, because I fully embraced it, that's the only way we can sustain anything in life. And that's why Paul is saying, 
man, you got to point out these things, Timothy. They've got to get to a point where they fully embrace and accept this and where they buy into it. You can point them in the right direction. You can suggest, you can try to encourage them as much as you want to. But folks, we all know it's got to come from us eventually. Or it's not going to matter. Which is why he even says, in fact, verse 10, this is why we, the apostles, work so hard. The word means to labor to the point of exhaustion. How many Christians labor for the Lord to the point of exhaustion? Well, nobody would if we really haven't bought in to what God is saying here. We won't put forth that kind of effort because we really, we might say, oh, I believe the Bible. I believe God's word. But it's only when we really believe it, when we really admit it into our life, when it becomes the rule. When it becomes my authority, when it becomes the reason I do what I do, and there's no questions asked, then our life begins to change. And that's so Paul says, this is why we work so hard and struggle. Struggle. The word literally means to enter the arena and fight. Now, you men, we can especially appreciate this, right? Although we all know life can be a struggle. But it's the idea that I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give in. Paul is using a term here that was used in his day for entering, in a sense, the Colosseum and fighting the gladiator battles and being willing to struggle. And Paul says, is this fight not worth it? Did Paul not tell Timothy in another place, fight the good fight? There is such thing as a good fight. And Paul's saying it's worth it. But how many of us are willing to keep struggling to let Christ be formed in us and to go through all the spiritual disciplines and to go through the spiritual exercise because we know that really becoming godly, there's no quick fix. There's no easy road. There's no easy button. There's no fast track to becoming godly. It is simply the same thing spiritually as it is physically. It is making sure we take in the right diet every day. And it is making sure that we exercise and train ourselves every day. It is the unattractive spiritual disciplines that make a difference. It is being consistent every day. Just getting up and doing the right thing. Over time. That's what leads to the formation and shape of Christ in us. But see, today we bought into, give me, the, give me the quick pill. Give me something that'll take me from point A to point K. God doesn't work that way. God says, I'll take you from A to B. Then once you get to letter B, we're going to go to letter C. And we're going to do this one step at a time. Nothing fancy, nothing sexy, nothing attractive. It's just getting down in the trenches and doing what we know we should do every day. Taking personal responsibility for our own spiritual well-being, our own nourishment, and our own training. Because Paul said, when people fully embrace and accept this message, then they'll begin to work hard. They'll begin to struggle. Because we'll finally come to a point where we have set our hope on the living God. There's a key phrase. 
See, the word set our hope in the Greek language means it's been settled. That Paul has once and for all rested on God. That's it. Absolute assurance. No questions asked. I am looking forward with confidence because that's what hope is. Because I've set my hope on God. Not anything on earth. Not anything man. Not, I, I have, I'm, I'm settled. It has become settled. It is an inner conviction and motivation of mine. I came to a point in my life where I set my hope completely on God, period. That's it. But Paul is saying here, obviously, we see how this all... T- if I as a Christian really haven't settled that, and again, I can tell, oh, I, I believe in God, and I love God, and all that. I mean, we sang some songs today. When you think about the words of those songs, you know, I, I, my hope is in the Lord, and, and, and that's where my anchor is. And Is it? Because that's what Paul's saying. That we're not vacillating between this and that. That we have come to be settled, and we are at rest. And the reason I question that amongst many Christians today is because of the spirit of restlessness that is in the body of Christ today. You you can't get Christians to sort of settle in and settle down at any one thing very long. It's like everybody in our society has very short attention, which is why then, no wonder, exercising discipline every day to just do what I need to do Oh, I'll do it for a week, but after that, it's not going to be sustained because it's not really something that's coming from within me. I have a friend who's checking up on me, who's keeping me accountable. And again, nothing wrong with that. That's biblical. But folks, we've got to get to a point where it can't, we cannot always depend upon external encouragement and motivation and inspiration to be who we should be. It's got to come from within us. We've got to settle it. Once and for all. And Paul goes on to say, not only have we set our hope on the living God, but we have come to realize he's the savior of all people, especially of believers. In other words, Paul's simply saying, we've come to realize there is no other answer except Jesus Christ. He's the savior. There is no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved than Jesus Christ. He's the only answer. There is no other plan B. There is no other answer. And for those who trust in God's promises, which is what the word believers here mean, then our life looks a whole, whole lot different. Because we've settled it. We've settled it. It has become settled in our life. And because of that, we understand no one else is responsible for where I'm at spiritually. Wherever my health is, in a sense, what today's message is was sort of a spiritual checkup. You didn't know that ahead of time, did you? We know when we're going to, you know, we make a doctor's appointment, we go to the doc, doc, I need a checkup, I need my yearly, you know, my blood work, all that, I need to see where I'm at. Well, spiritually, we need checkups every once in a while. And you know what God's checkups are for us? You know what the Bible says God's checkups are for us? Trials, tribulation. Because you, you really know where you are spiritually when you go through a trial or tribulation. If you can stand up to it and rise above it and overcome it, like we talked about Tuesday night, then you know you're in pretty good spiritual health. But if that trial or tribulation just 
melts you and you just break down and it just rolls over you and you can't handle life and and you're using all these other coping mechanisms other than God in your life to try to cope with life and the stress and anxiety and pressure and all that, then you know you're not in a good place spiritually. And God, again, is trying to say, so if you know that, just like if you went to the doctor and the doctor said, hey, you need to make some changes because your own physical health is being sacrificed here, would you or not? Some people don't. It's like, I'm going to live the way I want to live regardless. And some Christians are that way. It's like they go through a trial and realize how spiritually unhealthy and unfit and in a bad place they are because that trial just totally took over their life and just ran them over. But they really don't make any changes. They just wait till the next trial and that runs them over too. Instead of that trial driving them to God and saying, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I, I know I need to make some changes. I know, I know I need to settle this once and for all. And I need to take responsibility for where I'm at spiritually. And I need to start spiritually nourishing myself. And I need to train myself every day. I'm going to ask our worship team to come on up. We were hesitant about time and all of that, but I really want to end with this song today. And then we're going to have time for Stephanie to come up and share her trip to Peru. We want these gals to get an opportunity to do that too. But this song's only going to take a couple minutes. So I'm going to have the worship team come, come on up, get playing. As we sing this song, as we wrap up this part of our time together today, I think the one thing that, that I would like to just leave with all of us is, am I really settled on God in my life? Am I, am I really settled on God? Have I, can I say, in all honesty, with Paul, I have set my hope on the living God. It's settled. It's done. That I have rested on God and that I will spend my life exalting him. That it's not about me. It's not about my plans, my will. It's about him and lifting him up. It's about exalting him. It's about putting him first and glorifying him. And the only way, again, we do that is through nourishing ourselves and training ourselves. Let's stand and sing, I will exalt.